0: Welcome back to Action RC, the podcast. When we sat down with two-time world champion Joel Johnson a couple of weeks ago, pretty quickly became clear that even a quick skim across the surface of a lifetime involvement in RC wasn't going to get us to all the things we wanted to talk about. Your feedback was so positive to that episode as well and so today we're back with joel who's been so gracious to give some more time to finish this conversation first time we explored mainly joel's on track and world championship racing experiences today we'll pick up just a little bit more about the on-track stuff before delving into industry experiences particularly that nearly two decade relationship with trinity and maybe even a little bit about the current race scene from joel's perspective Joel, I said thanks last time for being willing, but thanks again for making the time to chat and explore your career in the sport that we all share a passion for. Welcome back.
1: Uh, it's great to be back, Scott. Happy to uh, continue. This has been very fun.
0: I can talk for hours, so you'll just need to stop me when you've got to go to bed. Um, <laughs> Joel, we talked last time, we really dived deeply into the world championship racing and you know those successes and challenges in that global scene. Um, you know, right from your first 12-scale world championship right through um, to, I think it was the 1998 on-road worlds where David Spashett was so dominant, we dipped into that a little bit as well. But along the way, you've also won something like, if my numbers are right, 34 US national championships from that first 12-scale win in 1981 right through to 8 scale Nitro on-road in, I think, 2007. Maybe I've even missed one after that. How do you reflect uh, yeah, on no, that extraordinary was... record? Yeah, uh, just, thank
1: yeah. you. Yeah, no, 07 was my last one. Yeah, okay. For eight yeah, on yeah. Road.
0: So how do you reflect on that extraordinary record? 34 is an enormous number of national championship wins.
1: Yeah, it's, um, well, you know, it it, it was, um, you know, obviously I put some work into that, but I also had yeah. just a tremendous amount of help uh, mm-hmm. being with the right companies, having consistency along the way, um, and just, you know, being with the right people at the right times and just having, um, great people in my corner, uh, from, you know, the start with Ernie Prevetti at Trinity and just his desire and will to win. And, and yet, you know, and there yeah. was no, there was no compromise in that, you know, and how he felt about that. It was just, there was just one thing and that was winning. Um, you know, in my relationships with, uh, Uh, Gil Losey and Jim Dieter and um, you know many people like that along the way who really were you know I could translate what I was looking for and they could make a chassis that did that you know Mm -hmm. and and it was really just um, something that I think is rare now you know the, the factory support you get now is more monetary than it is actual you know designers there taking what you have to offer as far as feedback and, and, and mm-hmm. translating that into a, a chassis setup or a chassis, you know, a design change to help, you know, suit what you're looking for. So I was just really fortunate to have mm-hmm. an amazing amount of support and be, you know, the guy <clears throat> from yeah. almost yeah. the get-go, yeah. you know, from the time I was 13. So, it, you know, and it's a tremendous advantage.
0: Are there, are there one or two, you know, of those raw national, I mean, it's unfair almost to ask you to pick out one or two out of 34, but are there a couple that sort of <laughs> spring to mind as being really special or really significant or, you know, that you just look back on really fondly? Um, well, I, I think I,
1: it's it's almost like the first and the last, you know, the yeah. being, yeah. you know, a 13-year-old and, and winning a national championship, unreal. Yeah. you know, a base uh, amongst basically all adults. I think Mm -hmm. the only other person even similar to my age, very similar, would have been Ralph Birch that was racing at the time and was in those events. And, uh, you know, that was just surreal, you know, and I was too young to even grasp, I think, what, you know, what I accomplished in a way and and how, you know, how that worked. And Mm -hmm. just, again, a company like uh, MRP and Gary Kai's taking a 13-year-old and saying, hey, let's let's put you up against the best and see how it goes, you know?
0: <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty bold on their behalf too, isn't it really? It say. really was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: they put the money out there and, you know, that happened to be my first race with Trinity as well, you yeah. know? And yeah. uh, so it just, you know, everything obviously really fell into mm. place there in that first event. And then um, I was really proud of my, uh, the last one in 2007, the 8-scale on-road mm. stuff. And I mm. kind of really put up, a lot of time into that and it was really a labor of love you know i really yeah. just was enjoying that scale and always wanted to race it mm-hmm. and kyosho giving me a chance to do that you know you know in a segment that really isn't that popular or profitable mm-hmm. even at that time and it was much bigger then than it is now <clears throat> um was you know it was a great opportunity and i, I was you know it was i was really appreciative to Kyosho to allow me to go do that and kind of a self-indulgent thing. Um, (laughs) And, you know, they were selling cars and it was great that I could go win a nationals for them and kind of return the favor. And, uh, and I really, that was a lot of work, you know, um, to get up to speed and learn about the engines and everything. And I had uh, a very good friend, Eric Vasuten, who I still race with today, who's my pit guy. Um, And he was at the time with works racing and, developing fuel and they had engines and everything. And, um, you know, it just really, that one was really satisfactory as well. Cause it was, um, a culmination of a lot of homework, I guess, in a way, you know, as kind of getting back into it as a 40 year old and trying to, you know, not having complete factory support as far as just, you know, hands off, I was wrenching my own car and figuring out the engines and everything. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. So I really, that one's very satisfying as well.
0: Probably you're one of the, one of the people in the world with the with the breadth of experience that you've had racing across lots of different categories. Others seem to be more specialised. What do you notice any kind of I guess cultural differences between say that eighth on-road community, you know, often named as the Formula One of RC, you know, versus say the tenth off-road community or the twelfth scale. This seems to me there's some kind of cultural differences in different parts of our sport. Um, are there things that you'd notice or pay attention to along the way or races are just races and it's really just the same?
1: No, no, there's definitely differences. And I think it it really stems from the amount of uh, factory effort that is at the races, you know, and I think, you know, the whole time I was racing electric, um, it's very, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, very serious, right? I mean, it's yeah. there's a lot of uh, factory support there. There's a lot of people saying, hey, it's time to, know we how are we going to do this and i had mechanics and you know i was the guy and you know there was just there was a whole team if you will surrounding me to do this and i think for a lot of other drivers too there were you know and and, then and that you know and those were in the you know the the golden years i guess especially for electric on road here in the us and uh and as i got into eight scale there was certainly teams and in some factory efforts but not the, the the level of um support or or whatever it wasn't mm-hmm. as intense i guess for lack of a better term and and uh, certainly there were guys out there taking it seriously and guys that had their big factory support but it was a little more of um in a way a, of a somewhat a little bit of club racer mentality mm-hmm. a lot you know outside yeah. I, I just it just felt a little more Lacks, I guess, and that's because yeah. it was—it's just, uh, you know, in this country for mm-hmm. sure at the time, just not as participated in by the factories. You know, there's yeah. the, the most of the factory support would come from Europe for the cars or whatever, or Japan, you know, and yeah. things like that. So there wasn't a lot of U.S. participation directly, you know, from manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So that made it, and for to me, it made it a little more fun. And mm-hmm. and it, it was—it was a fun group of guys that I got to know. So, but yeah. I, you know, I think it would almost be the exact opposite in Europe at the time with eight scale really yeah, incredible, you know, yeah, yeah, so serious over there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Pretty interesting to look back into other parts of our history where eight scale has had a really strong factory support in the U S you know, with team associated with building race cars in that category or Delta or, you know, others who were building chassis back in the eighties, it might've been a, a different kind of story. Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. I mean, I, I wasn't in that scale at the time, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, mm-hmm serpents you know the low seas were importing serpent and then you had associated making the rc500s and yeah they're so there it was a big deal back then yeah
0: for sure i think the last eight scale on-road car that i drove was a two-wheel drive rc 500 that tells you how long ago it was uh, that i (laughs) (laughs) wow that is it's a while back yeah yeah (laughs) um before we i do want to really dive into trinity but just one last question about the racing side We used to read stories in magazines about this mythical place called Lake Whippoorwill in Florida, this paved oval kind of place. And in those magazine articles, it always looked incredible. Um, I think you raced there a bit and raced, you know, maybe even won a nationals in that kind of paved oval part of the sport. Am I right in understanding that? And if so, what, what was that lake whip and, you know, that paved oval scene like when it was so big in the 90s?
1: It was Oval was really, really fun in the nineties. The the I think in you know so Whipperwill was the first big pay, you know, purpose built cement, high banked oval built, you know, for for RC cars and Bob Hosh, um <clears throat> who owned Lake Whipperwill was you know, was really just a great promoter and amazing showman. And he, you know, he built this little cathedral to Oval RC there at his campground in, uh, in Orlando, Florida, which is a, obviously a great place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, really started the whole oval, you know, this, this, uh, paved oval craze that, that went around for probably five, eight years, 10 years, maybe yeah. in a really high volume, uh, type of manner, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great, you know, and, and it was, you know, Whippoorwill itself, um, uh, beautiful facility, um, with the races there, Bob ran it like a NASCAR race and his staff all dressed like NASCAR oh, officials. And fantastic. Had, yeah. Lake Whippoorwill shirts on and, yeah. and, you know, it was a, it was a show. It was about mm-hmm. a show, you know, for him and really putting it on for the spectators and, you know, and I, at the beginning is it was so different, right. Than anything we had seen. And we were just like, it was really cool to us too. And, you know, then some things would happen that were more about the show than the racing. And we had to get used <laughs> to that sometimes. Right. Which, yeah. which is the right way, you yeah. know, And at the end of the day, you know, as a racer, you don't understand it, but yeah. you know, once you get in the industry, you realize that's how it's got to be. Right. So yeah. yeah, just really fun times, really uh, just a great, I thought, um, picture of radio control for, uh, magazines, you know, mm-hmm. writing it up and stuff. I mean, just the, the tracks look spectacular. And yeah. as he did well with it, other people built similar tracks around the United States. And we just had this great little, um, circuit going, you know, with the paved oval and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really fun time and, um, a great, segment of the hobby that you know it faded out a little bit i think Mm. you know the speeds of the cars just got to be too high yeah 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 Yeah. i mean even back then with you know without lipo and anything we were doing 50 Mm. something miles an hour Mm. you know for four minutes around these tracks so yeah once once the uh it basically got down to the tires wouldn't hold up Mm. if i you know at the end that's
0: right there were capped rubber tires and all of those rubber capped foam tires and all of that sort of stuff wasn't there right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. so i think in australia uh, there might have been one purpose-built oval track at a place called magic kingdom in sydney and but there was a lot of a lot of racing done on bicycle velodrome so you know big sort of 300 meter um i don't know whatever that is in feet 900 feet a thousand feet um right kind of lap length and you know speeds well up over 100 kilometers an hour 60 miles an hour that sort of yeah that was a thing for a while not so much these days yeah yeah
1: say. that was a thing here too which mm. I, I played with a little bit but the cars were so far away it was just uh <laughs> i don't know it was very strange to drive them right they're just so numb you yeah, are just yeah. running around and it, it, back straight away you're like just wide open and just trying to make sure you don't make too much of a steering input and the car's gonna yeah. kind of spin and do some weird things <laughs> don't,
0: don't whatever you do hit the wall at that speed yeah crazy right times. yeah <laughs> Joel, let's dive into the Trinity story. We've mentioned them in passing a few times. You drove their chassis to a world championship. You drove their electronics to two and I mean countless other wins. It seems, from the outside, a relationship that defined so much of your career. Just talk to me a bit about your relationship with Trinity the brand and with Ernie Prevetti the man and you know and the rest of that team. But, you know, we heard it started right back in 1982. How did it develop? What's that relationship like for you?
1: yeah so you know i really look at trinity and myself or you know it's i mean it was really one and one and the same in a sense i mean i just yep. i raced for trinity and trinity you know trinity wasn't was just coming onto the scene and i was a 13 year old just coming onto the scene and we really just kind of grew together as far as uh brands if you will and uh yeah, I just, in in a way, I think my name was synonymous with Trinity for years and probably Mm -hmm. still is, you know, I mean, that's basically, it's the only motors I really ran. I think I had a, maybe a month or two of running something else here and there. We got in fights, but uh, (laughs) for the most part, yeah, for my career, it was Trinity and, and, uh, just, um, one of those, in a way, magical, uh, relationships that just worked, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, The, uh, you know, they found me, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, through a mutual friend from my Mm -hmm. dad's hobby shop, who was into slot racing. And so it was, you know, just a luck would have it type of deal that we got hooked up. And, um, and from that first race on, I mean, it was, you know, I, you know, even at 13, I could see kind of what they were up to, as far as just uh, trying to you know, they're trying to figure out how this RC thing worked versus slot cars, but they, you know, they, for what it was, they had a lot to offer, you know, yeah. even at that race, you know, in a way for what, for how small they were. And, um, and, you know, Ernie, when I met him was just, you know, a guy trying to start a new company, you know, and he was, they were somewhat successful, you know, they were successful in slot cars and yeah. um, a racing sense. And, you know, I'm sure. From a business sense as well, but obviously slot cars not nearly as big as RC. Uh, Not at that time, no. So, so yeah, it's um, you know Ernie was just a a super driven Mm. person, and uh, you know an amazing businessman. I mean, some would say ruthless, and he really was. You know, I mean the guy was. It was business is business and, and uh you know it's nothing personal, you know, yeah. from from his perspective, you know, that type of thing. It's this is business. And uh and but we got but we had a really you know, an interesting relationship because he was in his thirties, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm a thirteen year old and we're yeah. starting to travel, you know, together <laughs> around the country. So he was kind of like a dad, right? Yeah, so yeah. I you know, here I am this teenager, you know, and uh so he really You know, I'm sure it's nothing he really wanted to sign up for, but it was, you know, I'm out there winning races. So it worked great, you know. And I I, I was, I think I was a pretty easy kid to hang out with. It was pretty mellow. So, (laughs) you know, I was there to race as well. And, uh, you know, it just really worked out. I mean, he was a really type A guy and I was a really laid back kid from California. So Mm. in a way, it's kind of the opposites attract, you know, he could go out and um, do the, you know, do all the political stuff at the races and and work with the promoters and Mike Greedy, you know, and he he would get in all those type of, uh, you know, that type of stuff. All I had to do is just concentrate on my car and go win races. And I didn't have to participate in any of the shenanigans, you know, that would come up just because of, you know, the, the, a bunch of small companies back then trying to really grab a, a big piece of the pie and the pie was growing, you know, exponentially, you know, yearly, Uh, back then so so we had you know we had a really cool relationship
0: yeah was he hands-on on on the motors with you in that time was he ever a hands-on kind of motor man or was he mainly on the business side
1: no he was no he in the very beginning he was hands-on on the the motors and Mm -hmm. for the first few years he and then he had uh, Tony P, because I can't, yep. nobody can pronounce his last name. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Prizbillowicz. Happy to go um, with
0: Tony P, that works.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tony P, yeah. So uh, Tony P, you know, those, those were the, uh, you know, that was his business partner from day one. Yep. And uh, so Tony did a lot of the the motor work as well. But Ernie knew everything about the motors, especially in the beginning. Hmm. Um, and was, you know, so from their slot car days, they understood, you know, DC motors. And so, yeah, he did I would say the first two, three, four years that we raced, he was really hand you know, he was the guy handing me a motor. He was a guy true in the comms. He was, you know, making it happen. And then as we got bigger and bigger, then, you know, then it was maybe Tony P would come out or they had a somebody that was working at the shop would come do some of the the hand work, you know, and Ernie would figure out what to do and somebody else would execute on it but it took years for that to happen so he was very hands-on yeah knew yeah, knew what yeah. he's
0: doing for sure i'm really interested in that you know you've made that comment a couple of times about his being so driven so competitive and you know clearly that's true for you as well in in perhaps in a slightly different way but you know what what how much of that did you learn from each other you know did you both bring your own competitive drive and then it you know it was a, a you know a match made in heaven or did you you know, what did, what did you learn from Ernie about the being competitive part of, you know, what you've done over the years?
1: I think, um, yeah, I mean, he he really um, brought to me, you know, because I was so young, mm-hmm. in, you know, you know the sense of you got to prep before you go, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the preparation you got to, you know, he was always harping on me. He's like, your car's built. Is this done? Is that done? Mm-hmm. You know, and here I am, 14, 15, you know, just it wasn't in my DNA, if you will, to just wrench on these things and have it all organized, you know, I mean, it's just, I had no, I hadn't been traveling much to races. So it was, there was a lot of that, that he would, you know, uh, you know, pound into me, if you will, in a good way, not in a bad way, but, you know, hey, let's make sure we got this ready, that ready, because they would show up and everything was perfect. You know, they had all the batteries, they're all marked, they're all ready to go, the motors are all, you know, everything was just money, so. What I learned from them is, you know, you got to, you know, in a way the race is won before you get there and you, you got to be prepped, right? You can't waste half a practice putting a car together, et cetera. And, um, but the competitive part, I don't know. I, I don't, in a way, I don't consider myself a super competitive person in yeah. any everything I do, but with yeah, okay. radio control, with the radio control cars and starting <laughs> when I was eight years old and. There was a weird. I don't know if it's weird, but it was a. It was like a, a switch that would flip when the race went on, and then when the, when they said go, it was yeah. I was a little bit of a different person on that track. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was I was super competitive on the track, and uh, and it was just kind of felt like the, it was mine to win. It was my yeah. track. I was my. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is what I do, and it yeah. it's very weird because I, I mean I'm not like if I play chess or whatever. I don't play, but you know, whatever, Monopoly whatever, or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't have to win. It doesn't ruin yeah. my night, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but with radio control cars, it was, there was a thing with me yeah. in that, that when I got to a race, that was what I was there to do. And, um, you know, and I think I, I'm assuming, you know, I think Ernie saw that, especially mm-hmm. when I hit the track and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's, you know, so that was helpful for me, you know, that he, I don't think he really worried that my competitive nature on the track was not up to his competitive nature and business and, and everything else. Yeah. So. yeah.
0: Where, where, so I just want to push down this line just for a moment more now, because now I'm curious, Where where's the line in a, in a racing situation, you know, beyond which, you know, if you step over that line, you're not, you're not just being a hard, but fair racer, you're just being, you know, really ruthless on the racetrack and, you know, is that a line that any elite racer has to kind of dance with? You know, if you're going to go out there and win world championships or national championships, sometimes you've just got to be right at that very limit of, you know, crossing over into beyond kind of hard to, to brutal. Um, is that something that you've kind of been conscious of over your time?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's uh and I think back in the eighties and, you know, into the nineties, mm-hmm. the, the racing, I would think most people would see, it was a little rougher than it is now. Mm, I yeah. mean, I, and again, I think it was driven by the fact that you've got all these company owners standing around mm-hmm. a track, you know, watching you race, and it's, you know, these are, you know, these are the guys that are yeah. paying you, or these are the guys yeah. <laughs> that are, you know, yeah. there was a ton, a ton of pressure, and it was, you know, you put pressure on yourself to win because you. Want to win and be the best, right? Mm -hmm. On a personal level. But these, you know, there was that other level of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, pressure coming from these companies because it was really a win on Sunday, sell on Monday. I mean, it really, sales were driven so directly from these wins back then. So it was, it was a lot of pressure and you, you know, you had to dance that line of, you know, not, running people off the track. But I mean, I think in the early eighties, that happened more you know, more often than people would think, you know, there's, there were yeah. guys out there that were kind of like playing hockey, right? You had your guys that were going to mix the race up a little bit and you had your guys that could win, you know, yeah. and uh, there was definitely some of that out there and uh, it was, it was different way, much different than it is now. And, it, and it's better now. I mean, I don't think we need to go back to those days. Uh, not that we were, you know, crashing each other, Directly, but certainly passes weren't as gentle as they are now, if you will. You know, it, there were some, uh, you, you know, door banging for sure back then. That's a,
0: that's a lovely way to put it. it from the outside, <laughs> you know, from, from outside the US, I've always been fascinated by what seemed like those just, which you just alluded to there, those fierce battles, particularly between Trinity and Reedy, and then by extension, you know, between Team Associated and LOSI, once Trinity had partnered up there in the 90s, it seemed pretty wild that rivalry um, on and off the track. Is that is that kind of how it felt on the inside? That just was it particularly Trinity and Reedy that were, you know, the, the corner markers. Of yeah, it was
1: battle? it was Trinity and Associated. I think yeah, Reedy okay. was always at the races. Part of that. You know, mostly representing Associated in general, yeah. and he was <laughs> so involved. And uh, but yeah, Associated. You know, Ernie. I think Ernie saw eye to eye more with. Mike Reedy than he did with Gene Husting. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Gene's ideas and thoughts were really polar opposite in a way of what Ernie thought was best for the industry or racing mm-hmm. and everything. And um, And again, it comes just, I think, two, the two different philosophies are, it's almost like a West Coast, East Coast thing. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. It's... I was going to ask about that
0: because yeah, that's probably a cultural reference that lots of us don't really understand from outside the US, but it seems a really different culture.
1: Yeah, it it. I mean, California is a little more laid back, a mm-hmm. little more. You know, I mean, it's just this the way it is here, and then on East Coast, it's very dog eat dog and mm-hmm. and uh, very um, competitive and mm-hmm. in, in general and in all facets of life, if you will. So, I think it's just it was two different philosophies, two guys coming from complete different backgrounds in a way, and it, it just you know. Sparks Ernie blue. really wanted Suspense. to win, and yeah, you know, yeah. and and Ernie rubbed Gene the wrong way, and then it made Gene really want to beat Ernie, and you know, and then <laughs> I think Reedy was somewhat stuck in the middle, you know, yeah, in a yeah. way, because you know, towards the, I think, what people don't realize, I think, you know, Ernie and 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 Mike were actually pretty good friends, and yep. uh, they they had traveled to, you know, Ernie when he first wanted to break in the European market, Mike was a guy that. Said, hey, why don't you come to one of the races with me? And I'll, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll show you how, you know, where to go, what to do, you know, because Ernie had never been to Europe, you know. Yeah, yeah. And here, here they are, competitors, but you know, they were actually, and they were, but they were friends, you know. Yeah. And I think uh, toward, you know, in the beginning, I don't think Ernie knew what to think of Mike, but I think after a while, he understood, you know, how much Mike was doing, you know. Politically, you know, running Roar with Roar. And even though sometimes it looked very self serving, it was also a lot of work. And if he wasn't doing it, nobody was going to do it. So yeah, yeah. it's just stuff that needed to be done. So, yeah. yeah. So there, it was really a Trinity associated fight. And then yeah. that Ben losi came along, yeah. you know, and kind of joined that. Then it became the the chassis, you know, yes. because of the chassis yeah. and, uh,
0: I mean, that's almost a, a little bit like a Ford VGM kind of, you know, companies and the fans and yeah.
1: Yeah. There was, I mean, with associated, you know, like the, the you know, Gil had, um, had worked with associated mm, on designs right. of cars, yeah. just in feedback and he was very young then, but mm. he was also very um, active mm. in the racing scene and really, you know, had some good ideas and, mm. and things. And um so I would let him tell that story sometime, yeah. Yeah. but uh, that you know, I think the Losi them making their own car came from that's that, part of you that. know, that relationship yeah. souring a little bit at the mm-hmm. end of the day and saying, okay, we'll just go do our own thing. We'll do and um, so that's kind of how that yeah rivalry got
0: started. That is a story I'd love to dig into another time while we're on the topic of chassis though. Let's just come back to Trinity. That, the Trinity chassis, in its various iterations, I think Switchblade and Evolution. There might have been some other names. You, know, you told us last time about that incredible story from the 1992 Worlds of this prototype chassis appearing in your hands after the first day of practice. I, I'm, just, you know, I'm curious about how rewarding it was for you to be involved in projects like that, like the development of those chassis, you know, with Trinity in that era when on-road was, you know, really at its peak.
1: Yeah, it was, I really, I did enjoy it. And I really, you know, I enjoyed working with Jim Dieter, who was the guy who did all the designs on those pan cars. And, um, you know, Jim and I just got to be very good friends. And, and um, you know, we just kind of thought alike. And, you know, he, you know, I was able, you know, Jim would have the ideas. Let's go try this. I could drive it, tell him, well, it's not doing this, it's doing that. And he, you know, I, I spoke a language that he could translate, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, he and yeah. Gil both could take what I was trying to say and really turn it into something that I could win with. And, uh, it was very fun and it was very, you know, it's, and it's, uh, again, back to winning all those races and national championships. It was, mm-hmm. it was a, I think a pretty big advantage because I was basically driving a car that was designed for the way I drove, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and, we were out there trying new things and, you know, Jim just loved to, you know, try something new and and just wanted to show up with something that made people scratch their head and go, whoa, whoa, what is that? You know, that's, you know, that was really, he saw the value one in pushing everything forward and always trying to go faster, but also doing something that's just different. And if you can go fast with something that's different, nobody can go copy your setup, you know? that and that's huge and it's a big advantage you know in the mind game too it's, it's a it's a big advantage
0: it it must be quite a challenge for a designer like Jim and a few episodes ago I spoke with Robin Schumacher about their the Schumacher approach to engineering but to to be able to build a car for you Joel Johnson to go win a world championship and for you know Bob and Phil and you know Andrew to kind of race at their club the next Saturday on a, you know, dirty, dusty car park, sort of a circuit it must be incredibly difficult for an engineer and for a designer like Jim to kind of straddle that, you know, the diversity of what it is. products going to be. Yeah. Used I
1: think, you know, and I think the, the evolution, the EV 10 was a, a pretty good example of that. Cause we mm-hmm. went to that inline design, which, you know, at the ranch pit shop really worked well, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of a high by purpose built track mm-hmm. and, uh, but as we started racing at more cer- more tracks, more services, different, you know, parking lot tracks, which mm. were quite prevalent, you know, most of the national championships we were raced on were parking lot tracks. Mm. Um, without that high bite, they were, it was a much different car. So, you know, I, I think in the evolution of it, it actually went back to having, you know, some saddle packs and move, trying to move mm. the weight back to get a little yeah. more traction. So it is difficult and it's, it's hard, you know, it's, to build the Swiss army knife of chassis is is, uh, that's a difficult, definitely difficult um, task. And especially with pan cars, because there's not a lot of adjustments and things you can do on those. So, you know, but you can, what's nice is you can sell different chassis where where it moves the batteries around Mm. and it's not that big of a change. It doesn't take, you know, three days to change a chassis, you know, (laughs) it's yeah, yeah, probably got, 15, 20 screws and you're, you know, you're in business. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. But yeah, we, we definitely, like I said, I think the EB10 it worked really well at that world championship setting and Mm -hmm. in other settings, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, not the most universal design that we had in 10 scale for sure.
0: The other part of on-road, which is, which distinguishes it from off-road is the, is the degree to which aero and body design plays a part. Did you get involved in kind of, you know, helping test and develop body shells of, you know, in that era that, that were producing different. Yeah.
1: Performance. Not, not as much. Yeah. Um, Andy's, I ran Andy's bodies um, yeah. when I was doing that and Andy was very active in Southern California. And uh, so we, I wasn't really testing them, but I certainly was using them after he would, you know, brought them out. Yeah. I don't remember really getting a lot of bodies and chain, you know, testing them. I think, a little difficult back then because you really had to just make the mold and yeah, go right. which was yeah. a, a pretty long so, process handmade n- yeah. unlike now where you got either 3d printing or these five axis mills that just you know whip the stuff out yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. quickly yeah. so we kind of you know they had to take what we had and go okay we'll just try you know instead of modifying the same body you were like, a lot of times it was you were just it was a whole different car like the nissan gtp was the hot mm-hmm. car so mm-hmm that's what Andy would make because people wanted it, you know, and in making that, hopefully he came up with uh, something that would handle better than what was already out there that was Mm -hmm. running. So I, it was important. And there's certain, the bodies made a big difference, but it wasn't like it is now. Yeah. I think as far as just the evolution of the Mm arrow part of it, but you know, now boy, especially in touring car, even eight scale on road, it's a, yeah, that's a, moving target <laughs> I, might,
0: I might ask you about that uh, a little bit later on uh, one last question i did want to ask about trinity with respect to chassis was you know did trinity ever come close to producing any other chassis do you ever take a serious look at ten scale off-road for example or was that relationship with Losi always so strong that that, that wasn't a yeah they,
1: they they did take a look i know you know because jim uh Dieter was he was an off-road guy as well he, hmm. he you know raced a lot of off-road and certainly capable of um putting a car together uh but i i think you know when it was when they were looking at it it, it wasn't anything that really got off the ground it was and especially back then um the amount of R and D to do something was very you know people weren't copying a lot of things back then so you know yeah. jim would always want to do his own thing and yeah and I just, I think at the end of the day, they decided this is maybe a little bigger undertaking than we wanted <laughs> and they wanted to, you know, to do. Because back then, I mean, the low and Associate, that was, those were some serious R&D yeah. departments, if you will. That was real development going on every week, yeah. you know, improving things. So, um, and then I, I think that's, you know, when, when Trinity and Losey kind of got together there Late in the nineties, I'm not sure the dates, but yeah. you know, and Ernie had actually bought into the company. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Ernie. You know, I think he saw that as the proper way to do That's it, the way to do instead it. of yep. trying to do his own thing.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. fair A relationship of that length, you know, that you've had with Trinity has to raise the L word, the L question of loyalty. So I'm just curious, as we kind of wrap talking about Trinity and move on to some other things, what it, what it meant to you to commit to Trinity for so long. And what it meant to you that they committed to you for so long. Loyalty is an interesting thing in our in our sport, our industry. What, what's loyalty meant for you in terms of that relationship?
1: It was. I think it was really. It felt like family. Hmm. It was. It was. Uh, you know, we you go through so much, and you you know, we really were in the wars back then, if you hmm. will, right? I mean, these were really. Um, pressure-packed races and times, and you, you win the races, you lose some, and you, you, you got the highs, the highs of the highs, the lows of the low. We had this, you know, as we call it in the U.S., Hatfield and McCoys, the Associated versus Trinity, and, the <laughs> and the, you know, it was just, there was like, there was two sides, and yeah. it was like there's no going to the other side. It just, you know, it, you became part of the family, and this is yeah. what you did, you know, and it just, there really wasn't any question you know, it was, I, this is my, these are, this is my gang and we're going to war, you know, with the other gang. You know? So it was, you know, we just it became family and this mm. is what we do. And just, it would feel completely wrong, you know, it, it, to go the other way. Yeah. Just, it was, I, I couldn't even imagine it. So
0: Maybe that's why when it did happen occasionally that, you know, it was such a big deal for a driver to move from one side to the other. The other part of that, that, i'm just chuckling quietly to myself about is that that battle that you know was playing out for you guys across the country and across the world is replicated every weekend you know on club tracks all over the place there's the you know there's the low guys down that end of the pits and the associated guys up that end of the pits and that fierce rivalry is there right from the grassroots uh right through and so i'm having some recollections of my own uh yeah
1: yeah, it was really great. I think for me too, just coming into Trinity when it was such a small company, yeah. you know, and just from the very, very beginning,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: I was like I said, it just became family, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah, it yeah. was,
0: we, we grew together. Yeah. You're, you've you mentioned quite a few times, you know, on the way through this conversation, your relationship with Gil Losey Jr. And, you know, that you ended up obviously driving some of the cars for a for a period of time but where what's the genesis of you know you, the relationship between you and Gil that has continued you know in business and in friendship over the years where did you guys first cross paths
1: We first crossed paths at the 82 Worlds the first 12 okay. scale worlds in Anaheim right. that
0: is a while back yeah
1: yes so in the, at that point i think they had they had the ranch pit shop maybe uh, yeah. I think they had yeah. had it by then, but they, they maybe just had their Del Mar store. I can't remember. Um, but, um, yeah, I just met them there kind of somewhat in passing mm. and, you know, they were just getting off road off the ground. Um, you know, they're probably still running Cox scorpion or the Kyosho yeah. scorpions
2: yeah. <laughs> back
1: then. Uh, yeah, we, we kind of, Yeah, I met him and it it was um, he and Pops were at the race. And he always jokes because I was I think I was playing ping pong at the time and I kind of blew him off (laughs) or whatever. I, You know, whatever. I was like 15, 14, you know. And, you know, so that was the first time we met. And then I'm trying to think, you know, it's been so long how it grew from there. I just know we kind of had like personalities, you know, and I really enjoyed being around Pops. He was really Pops is if you've ever spent any time with them was, is a really gregarious, fun person, you know, and it just kind of, again, it was, um, you know, they had the associated side of things in Southern California. Then you had the Losi's hmm. that were doing kind of their own thing. You know, they had the Yokomo stuff, they, hmm. they're running serpent cars. They And it was, again, it just kind of fit in with, well, I can't, you Know if I'm going to go do something, I'm not going to go with associate or whatever, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. Losey's just made sense, you know, and I got along with him so well. And yeah. Ron Rossetti back then, another one of Gil's best friends, and oh. just a great guy. And um, so I just kind of fell in with him. I, I yeah. you know, as best I can recollect, it, it just we just kind of hit it off and we got along really well. Yeah. So, um, and then through the years, just the relationship grew and he's making chat, you know, they start doing their own chassis and, and, you know, I think, you know, for Ernie, they were a nice outlet for Trinity motors on the West coast. You know, and at one point they were doing their own stuff too. I know. Yeah. uh,
0: There was a few uh, lines of motors went there for a few years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They had their own stuff. And, and um, yeah. So, and, and again, I, you know, really, it was really more just the relationship Gil and I had just, I mean, we just looked, to hang out and just go Mm -hmm. do whatever. And, and maybe it's, it's also, you know, we like doing things other than RC stuff, you know, It was we could also get away from it and still hang out together. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just based on, on the, our interest in RC. So, and that's, you know, just continued on to this day. I mean, I still talk to him probably once a week at least. And, um, you know, of course with AKA we were very, Mm -hmm. worked very closely together, et cetera. And, um, you know, we just, we, he could, you know, I think looking at it from a, a designer, you know, driver perspective, I mean, basically we had very similar driving styles and uh, yeah. kind of, if he had a car he liked, I loved it. You could drive it. You know, yep. he, yep. he would take his car and be running to practice and say, Hey, try this. And I'd go, okay, I need your car. <laughs> you know, let's just swap <laughs> radio gear. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so it really that i mean for him i think that was great because you know especially for on-roads, on roads mm. on the on-road side where he could have somebody of my caliber that he yes. could just go do his own thing in practice and then when he felt he had something good just hand it to me and it yeah. was magic you know and yeah. it would just we'd go win races so um that was pretty fun it was, yeah uh,
0: and you've talked about with him and with jim like the- you know the language that developed between you in ways that you know you could just ask for what you needed and he could understand that interpret it um, that's a pretty exactly rich, yeah. pretty rich relationship just tell me a little bit about the aka story i don't want to go too deeply into it i do have one particular question i want to ask you about what it's like to race for national and world champs as a manufacturer with aka but just as a as by way of an intro just give us a quick kind of intro to the aka story that's you and and Gil with Kyosho I think is in the first part of it and and then you go separately after that is that right
1: yeah yeah so we it was a brand we started uh for Kyosho and um you know Gil had come on to work for Kyosho as a designer and we had hired uh Mark Pavides was there working for Kyosho as well and and the goal was to 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 make western products if you will take you know have Kyosho have American design products. Yep. And, yep. uh, so the, the first thing it, they we weren't tasked with any specifics. It was just like, let's go do something okay. with these guys. So yeah, right. we chose, chose tires, um, because it's a consumable. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's something that Gil wanted to get back
2: mm.
1: to, into and it, it, you know, we knew it, it could generate revenue right away, mm. uh, without a ton of R and D. And, um, so that's what you know. That was kind of how it got started, mm-hmm. and um, we, you know, when the when the uh, stock market, we had the issues with the housing yes. market here, and the yes. economy collapsed. We were yeah, able very, to
0: very politely put the issues. We yes. Had, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh, so we're <laughs> um, we were able to purchase the brand and, and okay. what we had done uh, from Kyosho and uh, start our own company in mm-hmm. 08. You know, and Mark came with us, mm. and um, you know, it was a uh, something I never really thought I would ever do, mm. um, but it's just one of those things that it, the opportunity presented itself. We had the resource to do it, and I'm like, mm. okay, you know, here, here we yeah. go, you know, and you know, we had we had you know, Pops as a as a, a nice uh, counselor, if you will, the yeah. the guy who's done it all before, which is yes. nice, and then Gill. As well, it had always been there along the way, so we had a, very, a, much, a good leg up on how to get a company off the ground, hmm. and um, it was it really was fun, and it was a fun time to to um, to get that company going, and I think it, it was really good timing. I mean, Eight Scale Offroad was just, you know just, just starting yeah. to take off. I mean, it had yeah. taken off already, but it was really. on its way up and there was still a lot of years left Mm -hmm. in the growth so we hit it just right um and i think we did some things you know gill's work with the the closed cell foam which basically revolutionized you know the Mm. tire industry i mean you know once we figured out how to make that work i mean you know, when was the last time you saw an open cell phone in yes. anything? It's
0: not, it's <laughs> right? not very it's, common. That's right. Yeah.
1: No. <laughs> so, except for maybe rock crawling. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, that was all Gil. That was, you know, mm. that's the way he thinks, uh, you know, he's not going to go out and do something somebody else did. Yeah. It's going to be, no, we're going to go do do it, do it differently. And I think yeah. I have some ideas and yeah. it took him a while to get it done. It was really difficult to, to find, manufacturers to do what we wanted to do, but man, he got it done. And, um, you know, that really set us apart and, you know, that our packaging with the, was really, that was another fun thing doing the, what we call the jerky bags. You put like beef jerky in. that's, yeah, that's what we saw on the shelf or like, why can't we put a tire in those, you know? And, uh, that was, that was pretty cool. And, and, um, you know, now everybody uses those bags, Mm. you know, for their tires. And, um, so it was, it was really fun. It was a really fun ride uh, mm-hmm. with AKA. And we, we really, I'm pretty proud of what we got accomplished and, in, in, um, you know, Gil's contrib- contribution and Mark's contributions. Mark doing tire design and, mm-hmm. and being at the track and, and, you know, helping people out and really having true factory support at the track with somebody who was a world champion. Yeah. It's a hu- yeah, huge, yeah. Too, yeah. you know, that's huge too, you know so we really just had we had a unique thing
0: and so if i've read the results right you know along the way you got to race with some amazing people and, and go after some world championships and so the list that i've made out of my research is cody king in 2010 ronafelk 2016 Ongaro 18 and 22. maybe on the front end of jared tebow's win in 2013 a front uncontrolled tire so um, firstly I th- is that the right list of world championships that came with aka mm-hmm. and secondly What's that like for you? You know, having raced on track for worlds, then to be a part of a company that's, you know, helping these kind of guys, you know, go be world champions.
1: Yeah, it was. I tell you, I, I think I said it before, but I'd much rather have a transmitter in my hand <laughs> than uh, stand trackside and watch these things. Oh, yeah. that now I now I got a little taste of what Ernie was going yeah, yeah, through and, and yeah. Pops and all this guys. <laughs> Uh, but it was it was it was very it was very satisfying and and uh, you know again it comes down to the team you have uh, you know as far as our designers and you know with Gil and Mark and and uh, you know we just we were putting the work in and it, and it was very nice to see it pay off pay out you know and and in race wins and uh, it was satisfying it was fun and I, it was I I also enjoyed working with some of the younger drivers and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, just on the mental aspect and kind of show, you know, working with them on racecraft and Mm -hmm. how to handle a long main and, and, you know, what my thoughts and ideas were. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was, um, that was pretty fun as well. And talking with Ron and Ronald folks, you know, were I, they had been with Kyosho for so long and we had had such a great relationship and I really love those guys. And, uh, they you know i really enjoyed working with the drivers and and getting to put in my two cents with them every once in a while when they would ask and uh i you know so it was very it was very gratifying Mm. and and nerve-wracking at the same time man those those mains are way too long to sit and watch as a as a company owner (laughs) and some of those
0: racetracks i mean i'm thinking about you know ronafelk's win in vegas wasn't it in 2016 the way that the way that racetrack was and how difficult the conditions were by the time the mains rolled around oh my gosh Um, when anything could have happened joel in that little conversation you know i guess i'm reflecting back you know all the way through the two hours plus of chat we've had and so many times along the way you've named the people that meant things to you that coached you or mentored you or you know dragged you around the country as a 13 year old you know but but always naming the people that were there along the way and just in this last little bit of conversation you've you know, reflected on the opportunity for you to play that role for other people, you know, through the AKA period? I guess there's two questions for me. Firstly, you know, you've talked about how much you enjoyed that. So any further reflections on what it means for you now to be able to mentor? But secondly, you know, is there a consciousness for you about legacy? You know, what is the legacy that, you know, you, Joel Johnson, will leave, you know, in this this phase of your time in, in RC as opposed to, you know, when you were kind of the all-conquering, race-winning kind of guy. So, you know, so the two parts is, you know, what does that mean to be able to coach, mentor, support? Um, and then, you know, do you do you have a consciousness around legacy and, you know, what you leave behind you in in the sense of the sport?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, as I've gotten older and certainly got involved with AKA, hmm. I started to have a sense, a little bit of sense of that. And, and um, you know, it was, you know, I was... There's not a lot of, like I look, this podcast is great and, and because of the, you know, in a way we're we're kinda of talk we're talking history and hmm. there isn't a lot of uh recording of history in hmm. uh, this our sport, our hobby. And uh and it's really yeah, so for me, you know, I I'd show up to eight scale on or off road track, you know, even with aka eight. Most people there didn't even know I raced yeah. R C cars. Yeah, right.
2: Who is this guy?
1: Yeah. So who is this guy exactly? I, I remember I think if when I won the I think it was when I won the eight scale uh on-road nationals in in oh seven, everybody was in Japan, I think it, that was the same year for the the on the electric off-road worlds with yep. Kyosho. I remember one of the kids that was there racing for Kyosho, I remember somebody say, Hey Joel won the you know, they were in the van going back from the track or something. Hey, I won, you know, he won the eight scale on-road, you know, uh, nationals. And the guy's like, that guy racist? <laughs> you know, that's, you know, I'd known this kid for a year, you know, and, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it is funny. Cause we, we, you know, people, even people, when I showed up to a few years ago to the, to the eight scale, you know, down to, um, steel city yeah. a lot of people didn't some of the guys are new out there they had no yeah. idea yeah. who i was or that i actually raced you know yeah. and and uh so yeah i started having this thing like it 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 is fun when people figure out who i am what i've done and then ask me questions and i yeah. and i think it's great and i i do want to transfer mm-hmm. whatever knowledge is is uh i have that's useful to them happy to mm-hmm. you know give them my thoughts and, mm-hmm. and ideas you know and yeah. and it's, uh, I've really had a lot of fun talking to some of the new guys out of Steel City when I was there. And there's some really fast young kids out there. And, um, you know, when they would ask or want, you know, it was, I would, I would definitely tell them. And I think it's important, you know, and, and I, and, you know, going forward is in in a legacy. And, and uh, you know, I would, I don't know what, how that will come to fruition what what my legacy will be but it is something I do want to continue
2: Hmm. you know
1: in the in the sport and and continue being active um like you know if if it's eight scale on road that's fine if it's something else I'll do it but I really love you know the fact just to to be participating in it and the critical Hmm. thinking part but also hopefully Giving my two cents here and there on how things, you know, where things should go and how it should be, you know, what what I feel it, you know, the future should be, and because um, I, you know, I had this forty something years of experience and and seen a lot and experienced a lot, and uh, so hopefully, you know, if people want to ask, I'm I'm here yeah, yeah. to give my two cents, if you will. So.
0: Well, I I want to ask right now, so I want to to kind of draw on that 40 years of experience and history and, you know, all of that and ask you a few questions about RC today. You know, probably this is kind of as we start to wrap up, I'm, you know, conscious of the time, you know, burning away again, but I do want to ask you about a few things (laughs) today. Firstly, I guess, you know, just your, your general assessment of the health of the racing scene in general, you know, around what you see now as we've come out of or coming out of COVID and, you know, it. Feels like a lot of energy around the place. Do you feel like we're in a good spot right now?
1: Yeah, I think uh, certain scales are. I Mm -hmm. I think you know, like in the U.S., eight scale off road seems to be extremely healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, These, you know, the we've been very fortunate that some some promoters have been putting on races and worrying more about the experience of the race than the yep. rules, if yep. you will, <laughs> you yep. know, yep. It, it's more about the racer and the, mm. and the, and the experience than it is settling a winner, mm. you know, if you will. And, uh, it's really helped that, that segment just thrive. Mm. And, uh, you get these, you know, psycho nitro blast, the, yeah, yeah. the dirt, the
0: <laughs> crazy, races. you know, yeah, yeah. all
1: these races are getting a thousand entries, 500, 600 entry running 24 yeah. hours. I mean, to me, it sounds insane. Like Twenty-four <laughs> hours, you know. Come on, guys. You know, whatever. who wants but to practice
0: it, at three a.m.? Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. But it's really a festival. I mean, yeah, this is sort of, it's a yeah. it's a you know it's it's a bunch of guys hanging out and having a great time, and that's what it should be about. You know, I mean, this is a it's a social thing, and uh, they've really tapped into that with the, with these big races, and people are soaking it up. And hey, the the industry. Mm-hmm would be a lot different without these guys putting these big races on and putting on and putting on quality events, you know, yeah. and the ones that people want to keep coming back to. And, you know, so it, it might be eight scale off-road healthy, mm. you know, from a, uh, the, the um, average racer side, you know, I mean, it's very healthy. I think, you know, the pro racing is having its issues um, in a way just as a, I think as the manufacturers become mm. more and more consolidated, you yes. know, it's harder to, to um, put ROI on paying a guy and send him around the world, mm. you know, in, in, in a lot of these scales. So and that side's going to have to have some reboot, mm. um, some outside sponsorship. It's going to need to come in and, and help support that. And, um, and I'm sure it will, it'll, mm. it'll, it'll come about. Um, I think the guys at Live RC, I think, will be the, a little bit of a conduit for that. Um, yeah. just because of their, they have a lot of contacts now outside in the full scale racing and they, and they get it, you know, yeah. they're, they they see the light on where it needs to go, um, just from that exposure alone. So, um, the on-road scene, you know, the, the electric off-road I think is pretty, is pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, um, the, you know the I think the the brushless stuff and the and the uh, lipo which I know is old hat now but to me it's it's that's a big deal for electric yeah, <laughs> considering yeah. what we used to have to do and a lot yeah. of people don't even understand no. uh, what we were doing in between heats mm. you know with batteries and motors but mm. that, that I think that side will always be pretty healthy because you can't and the carpet I think again uh, the carpet is what's helping that grow again or mm. or be more viable because you just can't throw dirt into a building anymore no. <clears throat> like we used to because yeah. of just the the health aspect of it that oh. everybody's kind of figured out mm-hmm. it's not good to be breathing dust all the time yeah. um so the you know the carpet racing i think is is somewhat saving that segment although i think the cars are really fast really twitchy they're they probably need to work on on some some sort of a taming down of the cars for some, for the average guy to come in and, and work with those. But, uh, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, on road, I think is really sick mm. in general. Um, yeah.
0: So tell me about that. Cause you know, that's been so much of your experience 12 scale, your first love, you, you won a world championship in that category. Clearly it would be important to you. What, what, what do you see and what would you like to see different in that part of the sport? Well,
1: I, I see, you know, it's harder, it's, it's becoming harder and harder to find a place to race them. Uh, I think one of the cars have gotten so fast on the indoor scene, it's, you know, it's hard to such, they're too hard to drive. They're just too quick. And the second part I think is a lot of the innovation has gone away and it's, it's, there's a lot of, um, people just copying the basics of the car and, and putting their spin on it for lack of a better term, um, without really just doing their homework and trying to improve things and um then some of it i think it's driven a lot it's it's the the values being pulled out of, of of these cars in general in all scales and really just because it's so easy to copy and so easy to to duplicate um that it doesn't warrant the R and D budgets like it used to back in the day you know because it was much harder to to go get a car made and, and things like that so it's a little, you know, some of this is just a product of of the manufacturing, hmm. um, how good manufacturing's gotten, and how easy it is to to just hand somebody something, and you know, weeks later you could have a working a, prototype. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, is, is part of it to the relative rules stability with respect to chassis? So you know, we've been working within the same box in touring cars now for thirty years, in off road for forty years the the fundamental kind of shape, size, length, height, weight, all of that stuff, it's been pretty fixed. And so does that, you know, over time, we've seen it in Formula One, you know, every now and then they just need to do a big rules reset to bring that innovation kind of out. Otherwise, everything just, everyone just arrives yeah. at the same solution eventually. Um, I think 100 yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Um, it's very stale. And, uh, you know, I remember Aki uh, Suzuki, who was, you know, owned Kyosho uh saying one time that the rules should change every five years. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he, you know, was on to something there because you have that way you have to innovate. Mm-hmm. You have to go spend the money. And it might help get some companies to spend more you say, well, you know, if we if we have five years to, you know, you change the rules, you got five years to recoup some money, but you know in another five years there's gonna be some major changes it might keep the small guy out of it because, you know, it's just a lot of work to go do that. Now, again, with 3d printing and things, maybe not as much anymore, but it should, Mm -hmm. not even looking at it from that side, but let's look at it from the consumer side or the racer side. If it's, if it's a new design and the cars are a little wider and the tires are a little wider or the, mm. you know, and, and the motor's different and this, you know, different size or it can mm. only be mounted here or whatever. It's just interesting. It's new. All right. Mm. That's fun. Mm. We got new cars next year. That's, that's yeah. great. It, it would, I think it drives interest. I think, you know, part of the reason that the on-road scene's dead is just that the cars don't look any different than they did 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, to the, to the racer they do, yeah, but, but to if somebody, casual, if I, you pick yeah. one up and you pick a new one up, it's just like, wow, everything's aluminum now. It looks really yeah, nice, yeah. but I mean, yeah. it's still four a arms and it's still the same, yeah. the same box size, if you will, it's got to fit in. And so, yeah, I think it's, it is a good point that the rules do need to be switched up with warning, you know, mm-hmm. so everybody mm-hmm. can prepare and, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe it's not a rewrite, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe it's, we're changing tire width this year or we're going to this or whatever, whatever it is, you know, oh. body styles or just, there's a lot of things that could be done to make it a lot more interesting to the racer and keep them interested. I'm,
0: um, I'm looking very closely at the new Tamiya. Um, I think it's called the BBX. The new just announced one scale chassis. And it's a, it's, it's kind of shaped after a desert racer kind of style buggy with trailing arm rear suspension. And it looks magnificent. Just looks wonderful. And I can't help but wondering, you know, whether that kind of race car on a different sort of racetrack, filled with sand and rocks, and you know, a little bit more old school, maybe might just generate some energy around a different style of off-road racing. For example, you know, once that lands, I think it's not due out until maybe June or July this year. But yeah, anyway, it might be something like that.
1: No, I and I really think what we're missing the boat on the racing side is the scale aspect aspect mm. of things. We really the the we've really gone off the rails down the slot car hmm. r- route with these bodies that look like thingies, yeah, you know, yeah. if you will, And they all yeah. do, you know, I mean the touring car, they look cool. I think they look great, but they don't look like anything you've seen. And no, it's in, in, you know, the, the uh, eight scale on road. I mean, they door stops with, you know, with giant fins on the side. And again, they look super aggressive, but they don't look like anything. And no. I, I think we're missing the boat. If we're going to get new people involved, you gotta, we gotta get the cars easier to drive and we gotta make them look like something, mm. you know? And, um, it's, you know, nobody seems to be concentrating on that. Although they're here and there, I mean, to me has always been right, yeah, the driver a, yeah. of that. And, and thank God, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they created the touring car class. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, nobody seems to be really pushing that and, and seeing where it can go. Because, you know, I always, you know, the, I remember in the old days, you know, getting a body approved. And it was always, you know, it, it was just subjective, right? It's just like, yeah. well, it's supposed to be a, a you know, yeah. Nissan GTP car or whatever it is. <laughs> and you'd get, send a picture and oh, it looks close enough and blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> I, I was, you know, and it, I know I, I probably was Dale Epp from from protoform or whatever I think I heard this from that was you know why don't we just make everything have to be licensed you yeah. know and like brilliant yeah the, 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 we don't even need to approve bodies just put if it's got the license by hmm. on the on the label then it's done yeah. Yeah. you know i mean as long yeah. as they're paying the royalty and you yeah. know so yeah. there's some things like that, that could really simplify things and
0: uh, it is yeah. a shame that we you know we had that we had the slot car kind of experience to learn from with bodies and, you know, the way that those slot car bodies ended up just being a wing on wheels, you know, and really if you look at an eight scale car now, as you say, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Interesting challenges. The other question I wanted to to ask you, and this is, I'm going to try and draw a long bow here, but connect the 1989 worlds in Australia that, you know, we spoke of last time with those Yokomo tyres that dominated that event right through the most recent eight scale off-road worlds in Redivan, that seemed a bit of a tire track. You've got experience with AKA. Why have we not seen control tires in eight scale off-roads? Do you think there's a place for it? There's like 15 or 20 different tire manufacturers now. I'm curious about control tire and eight scale off-road. It seems an outlier to me. What, what do you make of that?
1: Well, yeah, you know, as a racer, I say, yeah, boy, control tires really, mm. in a way, level the playing field without mm. doing a deep dive into that, you know, there's, of course, there's always, well, the tires I pulled out are completely unbalanced, sure. and, you yeah, know, yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. there's all that there's, you know, mm. the control tire only works if if the quality of the tires it's, and the consistency is there, right? Yeah, right. 100%. So, um, but I think the, with. The thing I don't like about control tire is it takes a complete segment of the hob of the industry out of the, the, the race out of, Mm -hmm. out of benefiting from the race somehow by winning it, you know, and I think with the tires, I mean, from my perspective, the tire manufacturers, if you look at the sponsorship sheets Mm -hmm. or even the overall race sponsors for the last few years, the tire guys were the ones putting up the money. That's true. at these races to, yeah. to promote them, you know, mm. it wasn't mm. team associated. It wasn't low C mm. it's not, you know, it's not TO shows. It it was J concepts. It's AKA it's mm. pro line. It's, mm. you know, it's now, you know, what do you got hot race and, you know, a million other things. So, <laughs> there you are know, a it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of them now. I mean, I think when we started AKA there was like five manufacturers mm. and now I don't even know how many there are. <laughs> it's yeah. gotta be quadruple that at least. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it does limit, you know, when you got these companies that are willing to put the money out to be title sponsors or even, mm. even um, you know, associate sponsors, whatever. Mm. When you say it's a control tire, I it put my it. wallet back in my pocket and go, well, yeah. well that saves me some money, yeah. you know, but now, and now, you, you know, who's going to pay for those tires at the race? Well, it's going to be the chassis manufacturer that's got to put that up. I'm not paying for, to buy someone else's tire, (laughs) some other brand, you know? Um, so, you know, I think it has its, it has its, um, I think it had its time, but I don't think, you know, it came about because of, you know, that race in 89, Mm. you know, where if you didn't have those Yokomo tires, it just wasn't happening, but nobody had ever seen a tire like that. Right. Mm. I mean, that was just, oh, that's a, new, that's a whole new concept in what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. I think we're kind of done with new concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing, you know, the, the, the compounds obviously can be an issue, but yeah. it's a race. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're not yeah. going to do the work to go in, then let's, you know, then don't, don't go, you, mm-hmm. know, as a, you know, don't send your drivers mm-hmm. if you're not going to try to put up a, a fight with your product to be the best on that at that track or whatever and you know i think over the years we've seen just about every track condition so i don't know if there's any super magic hmm. um you know compounds or anything that are really going to be stand-all be-all like it was yeah, yeah
0: yeah it it it's interesting to me to look at the number of manufacturers who are involved in eight scale off-road versus ten scale off-road and and even the and while that kind of innovation has slowed down, there still is new kind of things coming out. More so, it seems to me in eight scale than tenth. And so, you know, part of me wonders whether the controlled tire environment of big races in tenth scale, in a sense, stifles innovation to some degree. Whereas in eight scale, because it is any one of those fifteen or twenty manufacturers can show up at a world championship and fight for it, there's perhaps more motivation um, to to be constantly pushing the boundaries on what a tire can do. Um, that might be an unexpected consequence of an unintended consequence of control tire in some classes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. I mean, it, it makes, it's very logical and uh, you know, I know the, the sedan tires, you know, nowadays versus what we had 15 years ago, Yeah, the ones 15 years ago were way better hmm. than what they're running on now. Hmm. You know, I mean, the, the compounds are better. It was just a better product. And, uh, so now if they open it up, I don't, you know, yeah. being in it's, that class, it's just the <laughs> class is so, yeah, it's a, that's a tough class, you know, yeah. as far as, uh, just trying to make a better product, if you will, on the cars, yeah. are just too powerful in my opinion. But, um, and I feel old when I say that by the way, but <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's how I feel. I mean, it's remarkable so, to stand
0: trackside on and watch those cars. It is. incredible. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: amazing. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it does. You know, the more controls you put on it, and mm-hmm. saying, "Well, you can only run this brand of tire," mm-hmm. then yeah, it's going to stifle innovation for sure.
0: But and then, as you say, and certainly you know, for not going for me as a racer who you know pays for my own tire bills these days to be able to go to a nationals and go, I only need one tire in one compound and one tread pattern. That's pretty attractive. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a difficult, difficult one. Uh, Joel, one last question. Uh, it's probably obvious that I'm a fan of world championship racing. So I'm just, you know, curious whether you have any thoughts on the twenty-three If World worlds events we have coming up. The big one, of course, 10-scale indoors uh in the US at Hobby Action. But I would guess you're pretty interested in Eighth On Road in Japan and maybe twelfth worlds, I think it's in Florida in November. Anything you're looking forward to, anticipating, excited about in any of those Worlds races for this year?
1: Uh, you know, I haven't really delved into it. I mean the being involved with the on-road eight-scale on-road stuff, mm. I knew it was in Japan, and, mm. and uh, it was actually entertaining going. Um, okay. Just it's one of my bucket lists is to yeah. run an eight-scale on-road Worlds. I missed the one, and that was at, at uh, Steel City. But mm. um, so,
0: can I say on yeah, behalf but- of everyone who's listening to this? do it we would we would love to see joel johnson on the entry list at the artsco worlds in japan that would be we our. shall see
1: yeah we shall <laughs> see i uh, it would have been a little better if i had a track like steel city still to yeah, go practice, practice and prep but yeah we'll see who knows it, it still could happen i know the guys at kyosho would had said well if you come over we can uh, we can help you with with your you know <laughs> we'll help you get around right your japan's hard to get around so I know those guys, I, mm-hmm. I talked to them a little yeah. bit and they yeah. were, they were yeah. saying, yeah, come over. It'd be great to see you, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I know the, you know, Larry at Hobby Action, I think that'll be a, that'll be a good world. So it's mm-hmm. a great facility they have yeah. there. Um, yeah. I, I, the surface there is very unique. So mm-hmm. that'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see um, what they do tire wise there mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and uh, track prep wise. I haven't seen, I haven't been there in a while, I'm not sure if they've changed the surface at all, but Hmm. I know it's a great area. Um, It's a good good area for people to travel to. Um, Great facility. Larry is, uh, you know, 100% committed to putting on great events. So, Hmm. you know, for those coming from overseas, it'll be a good event. So don't worry about that. There's a lot to look forward uh, to.
0: And there's all rumors floating around about tire choice and whether they will be sourcing or not and all sorts of things. So lots to look forward to in that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... Um, and, you know, and the on-road, um, electric on-road stuff, I haven't, mm. I, am not familiar with the site yet, right. or I haven't even really looked into that. Mm. So I just, that it's just so disheartening when you see the entry mm. count at these on-road, um, worlds. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just so, it just begs the question, why are we still running a world event for this mm. or, Hey, let's change the rules and try to build it up. You know yeah. I mean? When you yeah. get 20, Twenty entries or whatever—it's just mm-hmm. terrible. I mean,
2: it's—it's
1: mm-hmm. it's, it's not a this is not a world event anymore. <laughs> no. yeah, so, right. um, you know, certainly there's quality drivers and, and guys that are, you know, world class, but there's yes. just there's not enough people anymore.
0: It's not the depth, you know? yeah, in the field. Yeah. yeah,
1: so that's just it's just unfortunate. But again, I you know, it goes back to what we talked about, you know, a half hour ago, and just. Mm what needs things need to be changed obviously and somebody's got to lead the charge on that for sure
0: well i look forward to seeing your name popping up on the result sheets in japan i'll keep a extra close eye on that uh, to see how (laughs) that one comes along joel we have blasted through a thousand topics uh across i think we're at two and a half hours now in total and i know we've still barely scratched the surface but i and the the listeners all around the world just want to say thank you we could explore so much more for hours and hours uh we'll leave that for another day but but for today again thank you for being so generous with your time congratulations on an extraordinary career uh, with quite a powerful legacy being left and best wishes for blessings in 2023 and beyond
1: thank you scott i've really it's really fun talking about this and i'm always always up for a conversation and um yeah so you're doing great work here and thank you for taking the time to interview us old guys and get some of this down on uh, tape or whatever it is down in the uh, digital realm. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's really fun to uh, reminisce and recall some of this stuff. Hopefully I'm recalling it right when it's 40 years ago, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's great. So thank you. Thank you for uh, taking the time and, and putting this all together and always happy to have a conversation with you. So don't be bashful to ask again sometime.
0: Beautiful. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Folks, that's it for today. I'm not going to tell you too much about next week, except that there is a Mike Reedy story in next week's episode that you will not believe. Um, So come back next week and join us for that. And it's nothing to do with motors. I can promise you that. It's a great story from my guest next week. For today, though, thanks again to Joel. Thanks, folks, for being with us. Uh, I hope you have a great week and get yourself to a racetrack. We'll talk soon.